Hello, everyone. Welcome to this episode of the Talking Pharmacy podcast, where we look back at what's been going on in pharmacy over the last week or so. I'm Richard Thomas, editor of Pharmacy Magazine. Join me on the pod this week. We have a full house. Rob Daracott, editor of P3 Pharmacy. Arthur Walsh, editor of Pharmacy Network News. Neil Trainis, editor of Independent Community Pharmacist. And Helena Beer, editor of Training Matters. So we've got lots to get through. We won't mention the football, Neil. Let's get cracking. Right, I've tossed a coin and we're going to start with bad week this week. So, Rob, what have you got for us? Afternoon, Richard. I've been looking at uh, some new data coming out of CIG Research, which I think we're going to be, uh, which I think is now published so people can dive into the detail. But one of the things is looking at pharmacy services as perceived by uh, customers. And one of the interesting outcomes for this suggests that all is not quite as it might be in terms of pharmacy getting its message across to the public. So there's a question about which of these services that pharmacies don't currently offer do you think they should offer? And a worrying 29% of the consumers asked came up with advice on the most suitable treatment for your symptoms. Um, And, you know, to me, there's maybe a little bit of a gap here and we're not quite getting the message across to the public what would generally be a common service in a pharmacy. So maybe a little bit of work to be done there. Um, And one or two other things scoring similarly sort of highly, like advice on the most effective medicine. Uh, They would like pharmacies to know when to redirect them to another healthcare professional, a more appropriate one as a result of the conversation being had in the pharmacy. And also uh, a quarter of the respondents say advice they'd like They'd like advice on well-being and they don't currently see that offered in a pharmacy. So I think there's a bit of work to be done on the messaging there. Well, generally, I know everybody's been preoccupied with the pandemic and coronavirus. Um, but some of these things in here, quite odd. Uh, yeah, some of those things are, are rather worrying, Rob. And that is this is consumer research, isn't it? I'm not, yes. I'm not read it yet. So it is consumer research. Absolutely. Uh, there's some good news in there, but I'm going to come back to that a bit later. Okay. Um, well, that's really interesting. Yes, I should look forward to, to digging into the, the detail of that. Um, as you say, Rob, some some messaging problems there, perhaps for for the sector to address. But well, we'll see what the what the uh, the good part of that research is later on, Rob. Yeah, it's not like it's half a dozen people either. This is a thousand. This this is a a population, a survey population of a thousand people. So it's not like we wandered down the street and talked to six people, socially distanced, of course. No, this is a thousand and thousand and seven, I think, actually. Okay, right. That's a serious bit of research. All right, yeah. We shall uh, we shall look forward to hearing more about that later in the pod, Rob. Thanks for that. Uh, let's go to you, Neil. Who's had a bad week for you? Yeah, afternoon, Richard. Yeah, uh, the General Pharmaceutical Council have had a, a bad week for me. Um, now, I know... I, I've mentioned the General Pharmaceutical Council as my pharmacy body of the pandemic, much to Rob's dismay and uh, I mean, all of your dismay, I think, to be honest. But um, yeah. that was um, that was uh, purely on the basis of them uh, you know, supporting registrants and, and pharmacy owners during this pandemic, which which I you know still hold to. I think they they have supported them really well. But when it comes to the assessment, I think they've made a complete mess of it. Um, and the latest uh, episode in this um, in this little saga is the. Um, they've sent an email out to candidates who do not live in the UK, telling them that they will not be able to sit the uh, assessment in March, either remotely or 
at a test site in their in their in their locality. Uh, they, unfortunately, they said due to the time differences between the UK and the country you are living in, it is not possible for you to attend the test centre to uh, to attend a, t a test centre and sit the assessment at the same time as candidates in the UK. Now, it, this has raised a lot of issues because um, you know first first of all, the GPHC haven't clarified which you know particular is it all, all countries outside of the UK. I don't know. They haven't, they haven't clarified which how many students this affects which countries, and they haven't really given. Well, they haven't left much time or much notice for, for the students to make other arrangements. Or, you know, it's, it's five or six weeks before the assessment. And it's March the 17th and 18th. So they've really, the timing isn't great. Um, and, they, and, they, and there still isn't, there could be a bit more clarity. Um, uh, the Royal Pharmaceutical Society um, obviously got involved in this to their credit. And, you know, and they mentioned, you know, I think they gave an example of, you know, what, what about, say, for example, you know, people who are training in Hong Kong, for example, doing a, pharma, a UK pharmacy degree. You know, they need uh, full UK registration to, to practice, of course. Um, but this means, of course, this decision means that they, they can't practice and they won't be able to continue helping out besieged pharmacies in that particular uh, part of the world as well. So, you know, I, I think that, you know, the GPHC have made a right mess of this entire uh, 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 in, the whole issue. And, and you know, those who, they, they, the GPHC did say that, you know, those who return to the UK... Uh, or, or, have, or, or who have already done so and want to sit the assessment in March can do so. Um, but I, I, for me personally, I don't see why people in other countries can't sit the ex uh, you know, and I know there's time differences, but I don't see why people in other countries can't sit the exam remotely. Why not? Um, and, you know, I, I, I feel that it, my, own, my own view, my own personal view all the way through this, I think the March assessment actually should have been scrapped. I don't think it should be, I don't think it's the right time to hold it. I think that there's something going on called the coronavirus pandemic which is which prof regis need to be focused on i don't think they have time and and and, and can afford to be focusing on studying for an exam i think it's, it's absolutely ridiculous so uh, um and I, as we know i think a couple of royal pharmaceutical society members also have that view um so i i just think they've made a mess of it um i think they should have scrapped it maybe postponed it to a little bit later um and for me it's the gphc bad week yeah i mean leaving aside the the issue of whether you would postpone or scrap the assessment, because you know, I end, you have to go through that hoop for, for registration, don't you? But I mean, you're right, Neil. This is a this is a terrible development in an already really bad situation. I, mean, I think this is becoming something of a scandal for the GPHC. And did you say that the late change in arrangements was was made what um, last week? Did you say? Yes. Yeah, They've not given yet. Yeah, I mean, you're literally talking now, as we, as we stand now, it's literally five or six weeks before the, the assessment takes place. I mean, it doesn't, it's, it's, they've left it really late to sort of do something. To, to yeah, they, they have. And, and you know, travel has got to be discouraged anyway during the global yes. pandemic, Absolutely. hasn't it? I mean, look, I, 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 I'm with you on this, Neil. I think the GPHC surely has to do better here. I mean, just just stop and think about, the people this is affecting and, and, and the consequences of this decision and all that that training potentially being wasted. I don't think it's too dramatic to say, you know, lives are being ruined here through no fault, you know, of their own. I I think the GPHC must rethink its decision. Surely a remote solution is possible. And the other Surely. thing is, the other thing, Richard, of course, is other other healthcare professions have managed to get around this fairly easily, haven't they? I mean, you know, they, they've managed to do it. Why can't pharmacy? Yeah, I, I I agree. I agree. I think GPHC has to rethink. I think the late notice is is, is terrible. And yes, as I say, a remote solution 
surely is not beyond the wit of man. Okay, bad week GPHC. Thanks, Neil. Um, Arthur, who's had a bad week for you? Yeah, so just before I start on that, I'm just going to agree with Neil. I think the GPHC seems to have done everything in its power to make an absolute hames of this assessment from start to finish. Um, and it's a real, real shame what's happening there. Um, my bad week, my worrying week, um, I thought for Lloyd's Pharmacy, the UK's second largest multiple, uh, because their parent company, the US pharmaceutical giant McKesson, has published its quarterly financial report. And Lloyd's doesn't even get a mention. Um, it te- like The report tells us that the US uh, pharmacy business is up 5% year on year and international, in which Lloyd's obviously sits, is down 4%. But it doesn't give us any detail on, you know, on what is, you know, a struggling business. And I'm, I mean, I'm possibly reading a lot into this, but it just, I thought it, maybe gives you an insight into Lloyd's powerless position within this you know giant institution which it um, became a part of a couple of years ago and obviously when uh, news does come out about Lloyd's it tends not to be very promising it tends to be about uh, the difficult finances uh, cuts they're having to make and so on so I thought this um, just for the report to come out and not contain a scrap of detail on on what's happening in Lloyd's and what's being done to, to address any problems I thought that was potentially quite worrying. Yeah, thanks, Arthur. Uh, forgotten Lloyd's Pharmacy. Uh, Rob, you wanted to come in there. Yeah, just a, a question. I haven't, I haven't actually read this, uh, this quarterly report myself, but I just wondered: US up five percent. Is that a, is that an effect of of the fact that the US is up, like the rest of us, is going through this uh, pandemic? And as we all know, I think healthcare in the America is not necessarily as easy to get as it is over here. And are pharmacies doing correspondingly better over there because of that? Or, or is that just a, is there some other reason? Yeah, good. Yeah, good point, Rob. Uh, don't know. Don't know. I think that that's something maybe we could we could look into further. Um, so, yeah, thanks, Arthur. And me, my, what's my bad week? All right, my bad week is for contractors in England providing methadone and buprenorphine services uh, via the FP10 MGA instalment prescriptions. Now, I'm indebted to Martin Bennett of Wicker Pharmacy in Sheffield, a friend of the pod, for alerting me to this. Um, Okay, it's a little bit complicated. I'll try and explain things uh, as best I can. In a nutshell, it would appear that contractors are taking a, a big financial hit with this service because the number of methadone client contacts has reduced considerably during the pandemic. And that's understandable because of the need to avoid as much face-to-face contact as possible. But because contractors are paid for each patient interaction on an instalment script, this has had the effect of of obliterating the fee structure and the fee income uh, for contractors providing this service. Now, Martin has done the sums uh, and reckons this has left him out of pocket to the tune of around £670 per patient per year. And for Wicker Pharmacy, which has over 200 methadone clients, that amounts to over £67,000. Staggering amount. Martin won't mind me sharing these figures because uh, he's written a piece on it for our February issue and uh, it will be going up online uh, this weekend, hopefully. So, a few things to say here. Firstly, you know, that's a hell of a lot of money, clearly. Um, secondly, some, but not all, commissioners of local supervised consumption services have recognised the problem and have introduced top-up payments. But that's just for the supervision aspects of these local schemes and not the dispensing itself. 
Thirdly, it's impossible to get a proper handle on this from the FP34B payment schedule, which is so opaque as to be virtually useless. And finally, from a patient safety point of view, it's actually pretty dangerous to have so many more take-home doses of methadone in the community unsupervised with the risk of misdirection or accidental overdose by children, for example. But you can begin to see what a disastrous financial blow this could be for pharmacies who treat a high number of people for addiction. And they're left with what is now a loss-making service on top of all the other financial problems they're facing. And because the payment schedule is so complicated, the worrying thing is many contractors probably haven't even realised yet. PSNC uh, is on the case, but with everything else going on, I'm not sure where this stands uh, on the priority list in their talks with the DH. And it's one of those unforeseen consequences of the COVID pandemic, I guess. But it's another bitter blow for for contractors who are affected um, financially. Things are already really, really tough at the moment. So thank you to Martin for for alerting us to this. Um, But it's a, a bad week for pharmacists involved with methadone services. So let's cheer ourselves up with Good Week. Helena, who's had a good week for you? Hi, Richard. Um, So my good week is, um, I think it's been a good week for COVID vaccinations, in the UK at least, and obviously it's got its issues. Um, But the milestone of 10 million vaccinations administered is just brilliant. Um, We're on track for the 15 million by the middle of the month. Um, They found that having a three-month gap between doses of the Oxford-AstraZeneca vaccine seems to be fine, which um, also bodes well, seen as that's Boris's strategy these days. Um, But for me, the most welcome news is the fact that research into the Oxford-AstraZeneca vaccine has found that it could lead to a substantial fall in the spread of the virus, um, with life returning to some form of normality, dependent on reducing the transmission, obviously, um, it feels like this is a significant step. um, And it made me breathe a sigh of relief when I read about it earlier this week. Um, In terms of community pharmacy and vaccine administration, um, there have been questions over um, their role in the programme over the last few months, but it seems like positive steps are continuing to be taken. Um, So at the end of last week, Asda became the first supermarket pharmacy to launch COVID jabs. Um, Today, Avicenna is launching a vaccination centre in Swindon in which pharmacy support staff um, are helping to set up the service. Um, And there are countless other examples of community pharmacy really making their mark on this vaccination programme, including some of the entrants in the Recognition of Excellence Awards um, and those entries that we've received so far, which is, is really good to see. Um, I also just want to give an honourable good week mention to uh, Lloyd's Pharmacy, balancing out Arthur's bad week. Um, they've started the Ask for Annie initiative, which enables victims of domestic abuse to discreetly access support. Um, so Lloyd's have joined the likes of Boots and Well, the MPA and other pharmacies in supporting this. Um, and I think especially during the current climate, it's such an important initiative. And I'm so glad that they've got on board with their 1400 stores aiding the accessibility of it yeah very good call Helena well done Lloyd's Pharmacy for that and yeah the COVID vaccination you know let's not forget that I think this week now nearly 200 community pharmacies large and small are taking part in in the vaccination effort which is great it's it's fantastic stuff and uh, you know we wish them well and we'll we'll be following their progress in the mags Um, Neil you wanted to come in on this 
Yeah, I just wondered what uh, you guys thought about the Pharmacists Defence Association this week calling on the government to use the entire pharmacy network, uh, 13,500 pharmacies to deliver the second doses of the AstraZeneca vaccine. I mean, I think it'd be a great idea. I don't know if it's realistic, but... uh, what do you guys think? Uh, no, I, I, I agree, Neil. A thousand little ships, um, vintage Mark Cosiel there. Um, no, you're right. I thought that was an extremely useful intervention by the PGA, actually, and, a, and an attempt to, you know, to get ahead of the game with uh, COVID vaccinations. Yeah, we're coming up to the second doses of the vaccine now, and we're working our way through the, the JCVI uh, immunisation groups. So, yeah, as we reach, I don't know, the working population of the under 65s, let's say, uh, as long as the supplies are there, then yeah, you're right, Neil. Surely the government has to to utilise the convenience of the, the local network as, as part of the national programme. But it needs to be planned now. It can't just be done at the at the drop of a hat. And that was the point that uh, that the PGA was making and Community Pharmacy Wales uh, made as well this week. Uh, Rob, what's your take on that? Yeah, that PDA policy paper is quite something, isn't it? Uh, If you want to see a policy paper that reads like a screenplay, that's it. I was picturing the scene of the thousand little ships. It quite brought a tear to my eye. Okay, let's move on to Arthur. Should we go to you? Um, Who's had a good week for you, Arthur? Yeah, I like I like Rob's point there. I do. I think the PDA do sometimes express themselves in quite colourful ways, and maybe sometimes it sort of gets in the message of of the actual message they're trying to put across. Um, My good week. Perhaps more of an interesting week for the pharmacy minister, Joe Churchill, who announced in the Commons last week that there's going to be a full public consultation on whether the law should change to allow hub and spoke dispensing across uh, separate entities, separate pharmacy businesses. Uh, this is in light of the Medicines and Me- Medical Devices Act, which is going to be passed into law imminently and which is needed to give the health secretary powers to change um, medicines regulations. Uh, of course, we already had a consultation in 2016. Uh, where bodies such as the MPA rejected uh, Hub and Spoke on the grounds that, you know, they weren't sure that it did tick the efficiency and safety boxes that the government and NHS uh, seem to think it does. Um, but obviously, uh, government and NHS seem very keen on the, on the concept. So if it's going to be brought in, then I think it's right and proper that it's done with full scrutiny and hopefully the opportunity to have input on the way it will operate uh, rather than being brought through the back door, as as the shadow pharmacy minister Alex Norris told this, told told the podcast last August. Um, now, I mean, whether consultations uh, do provide that much of an opportunity to to influence things, or whether it's sort of an exercise that the government has to go through is an, another question altogether. Um, but it is a question on which people tend to have strong feelings, yes or no. Um, so I think we'll have sort of we'll see interesting discussions over the next months as the consultation launches yeah we we certainly will so have been spoke here we go again uh this this consultation like you say arthur has been uh, a long anticipated and it will be interesting to see uh if there's any change in the stance of our our representative bodies this time around neil uh what about you who's had a good week well my good week goes to simon jakes um psnc he's uh, been on the front foot and rightly so. Um, and it's quite interesting, his remarks this week about, uh, you know, the negotiations behind closed doors negotiations, you know, confidential negotiations. And I, I, I don't know what you guys think, but I, he seems to have given a, quite a bit more away than previous, certainly that I, than I remember Sue Sharp ever giving away. Or and if you guys remember before her, I don't remember, you know, other previous CEOs of the SNC 
Um, he seems to have been given quite a lawyer. And, and I think he has a right, a, a right to do so because it seems as though they're getting absolutely nowhere with the government, which is totally deflating for, for community pharmacy. Um, <clears throat> we shouldn't be surprised at this, of course. Um, we've been here before. And, um, and, 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 it's, and, and even worse than this, of course, with the funding cuts. But, um, you know, he used some pretty strong language. Um, you know, the PSNC getting increasingly irritated, their increasing irritation at, at the funding talks, uh, despite our constant efforts, more importantly, the phenomenal work of pharmacies that they've been doing all year. <clears throat> we are not making any progress. Um, so that's uh, absolutely unsurprising, but still demoralizing. Um, and, and, you know, the Department of Health and NHS England refusing to treat pharmacies as a core part of the NHS. Uh, you know, <clears throat> resisting conversations about fair margins and value, only focusing on what they consider to be the bare minimum costs of service delivery. Um, you know, it seems to me that he's had enough. He's, he's almost like throwing down his arms and saying, this is, this is getting ridiculous now. I, I'm, I know these are supposed to be, you know, behind closed doors talks, but I'm, I'm now going to get this off my chest and tell people what, what they actually are saying in the, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the negotiations. And I don't know what... I don't know whether he, this, this is going to have any effect. I mean, us, you know, in the pharmacy press, we can only do so much um, because of our reach. But, uh, you know, maybe if national newspapers were to take this up, maybe because we don't really hear much. We don't really hear much in the national press about, you know, pharmacy funding, do we really? You know, and, and the lack of funding and the lack of support for pharmacies. I don't think there's been too much of that in the, in the nationals. Maybe if they were to take this up and, and, um, and, and put the pressure on that, we put a bit of pressure on. But I, full, full um, you know, praise to, to Simon. I think he's he's showing that uh, we're not going to be pushed around. This is just getting ridiculous. Yes, Neil. Um, marked change in tone from Simon there. I thought um, his frustration uh, very clear. Arthur, what what did you make of it? Yeah, I was going to add. I think it's a very welcome intervention from Simon Dukes. Um, but on Sue Sharp, I would just say that she did sue, sue the government, which is sort of a strong, <laughs> a strong statement in it, in itself. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. That, but, but there, but there, yes, yeah, of course. But there, there was always those um, those, those sorts of weeks went by. Whenever you, you, you seemed to contact the PSNC, it was always normally the response would be these are behind closed doors talks, mm. and we can't we say too much. And it seems as as these talks are progressing, and I, I think Simon's probably you know letting more more. Revealing a bit more, I think, more than, than, than yeah. She did. I mean, it's it's interesting, isn't it? It's it's a definite kind of change in tactics. I mean, look, Simon is a is a very experienced negotiator, isn't he? Across you know several sectors, and and when he came when he came into the job, you know, he had to he had to build bridges, rebuild bridges. He had to regain trust, be conciliatory, you know, all of that kind of thing. That that, as you say, Neil, clearly hasn't worked, and I, I think we'll see PSNC really up in the rhetorical ante of the next couple of months. And it'll be interesting to see if that approach prompts a, a, a change from the government. I mean, to not even have had COVID costs covered after nearly a year where pharmacies effectively subsidising the NHS, you know, out of contractors' own pockets is, uh, is a disgrace, really. Um, Rob, what do, you, what do you think? I completely agree with you on that last point, Richard, because, um, as you say, 10 months, uh, the advance payment uh, issue is still out there to be resolved and it must be incredibly frustrating. Uh, the only other thing I'll add is I'm not entirely sure suing the government is a strategy to be recommended since I don't remember that ending up particularly helpfully in the end. Um, but yeah, the, the, the time, I can just say, you can just sense the frustration, can't you? And, and it must be extremely difficult 
with no progress after such a long period of time. Extremely difficult. Uh, Neil, do you want to come back in to, to wrap up with this? Yeah, just a, just a thought, really, and I'll, I'll throw this in there. You can agree or disagree, but, you know, the COVID vaccination rollout, and we know that pharmacies are, are being gradually, increasingly uh, involved in it. But, you know, going back to Mark, uh, but going back to the PDA, getting all the whole pharmacy network involved, community pharmacy, if they do that, the government, are they conceding to an extent that we need pharmacies badly? They are an integral part of the NHS after all. We, 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 we just can't do without them. And if they take that approach, I'm using COVID vaccines as an example, um, then suddenly that doesn't st- that's immediately, immediately at odds with their position on the funding, isn't it? So, yeah, it, yes, it is. I mean, we take that uh, as a rhetorical question this week, Neil, yeah. because of time. But I think we, we would all agree with you there. And I think the, the sector would, would agree as well. Um, it's very, very frustrating uh, for, for contractors in England and, and a marked contrast, as we've discussed before, with the, the situation in, in Wales and Scotland, especially. OK, Rob, um, good week for you. You're going back to that uh, that OTC research, aren't you? I'm going back to that OTC research. Yes, Richard, by CRG Research. So given the background of the, the last 12 months and the pressure that pharmacy teams have been under, my attention was particularly drawn by the question about uh, asking um, the, the people in the survey uh, whether they were happy with the advice that they were given the last time they were asked. And some of the scores here are absolutely off the charts. So for example, uh, the respondents rating these things as excellent or good, friendliness, 90%, nine out of 10. Helpfulness, 86%, this is excellent or good. And in fact, the, the, um, the numbers in the very poor line on some of these bar charts, you can't even see the line. It is that small. So I think there's some there's some uh, really good things in here to build on. And again, once again, proves that you can throw an awful lot of community pharmacy and community ph- and there's no differentiation. I have to say in this survey about who was doing the responding, whether it was a pharmacist or a member of the uh, pharmacy team. So uh, regardless of what you throw at them, they carry on um, being friendly with the people that they are serving and I think there's much to build on in here as well as one or two things to look at Richard. Yeah thanks Rob very good good counterpoint to, to your earlier battery and you're right I'm just kind of flicking through as you've been speaking there Rob and and yeah vast majority of people think advice is excellent or good performance during the pandemic excellent or good yeah I mean considering all the pressures that that community pharmacy teams have been under uh, throughout this pandemic i mean there's some 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 stellar results there um yeah bit to work on but overall i think we can uh, we can take a lot of encouragement from that survey yeah so look out for that we'll be covering that over, over the next few days um in the mags so um we've just got time for some quick any other business um well, I'll kick off here. I've been watching a lot of television the last few weeks. There's not been a lot else to do. Uh, it's been some great stuff on, though. Um, and I've been watching It's a Sin, and I, I think that was a wonderful bit of television. I finished watching it earlier on in the week. Russell T. Davis is an absolute genius. I mean, he writes with such humanity and warmth and, and humour, even, um, when tackling the most difficult of subjects. It's a tough watch. It, he really puts you through it, but... 
it was uh, one of the best things I've seen in ages. Uh, great program and, and a banging 80s soundtrack too. So that's my any other business. Um, Helena, what's uh, what's caught your eye out there? So I think everyone is delighted that January is over, having lasted for approximately 17 weeks. Um, but I personally am glad it's February for another reason. Um, and that's because this year it's the most satisfying month. So starting on a Monday and ending exactly four weeks later on a Sunday. Uh, when you're a fan of neatness and order like I am, and I know Richard, you are too, uh, the calendar for this month is just a thing of beauty. Um, and this is the only the eighth time it's happened since the end of World War II. So it's an infrequent source of quite nerdy joy, I think. That that really appeals to me. Uh, I have a fan of neatness and order, thanks, Helen. Of course, I've just remembered, though, we were going to make a, a new feature in the pod, weren't we? Producer Sam's Fact of the Week. And I've forgotten to put it in, but uh, so sorry, Sam. We'll, we'll, we'll bring that in next week. Uh, yeah, lovely, Helena. Thank you for that. Uh, Rob, what's, uh, what's what you interested in out there apart from pharmacy maybe over the last week no, this is a pharmacy out. one is that okay can i do a pharmacy one just, no, you, just, you certainly can just a quick shout out really to uh npa board member raj patel of hollywood uh chemists and who managed to um squeak into a general discussion about the government's kickstart kickstart scheme to help young people aged 16 to 24 a poke at the chancellor about pharmacy funding so a lesson to to everybody there that the way to keep this uh, front of mind of uh, government ministers is to use every opportunity you possibly can, including conversations about something else. So well done, Raj. That's really good, Rob. Yeah, well done to Raj. Um, that's excellent. Uh, and I think that brings us to the end of this week's pod. Thanks very much to Rob, to Arthur, to Helena and to Neil. Um, this episode of the pod and all the episodes um, are available on the PM website and from all your usual download sites. Uh, but for now, from all of us, thanks very much for listening. Mm-hmm.